Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. These panels have been made possible thanks to Double Exposure and their game design convention Metatopia at Metatopia Online 2020. These panels have also been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and moderators at this event. Now, let's get to it. Episode 327, Grow Your RPG Brand. Presented by Kat Tobin, Will Sobel, J.R. Blackwell, Christopher McLaughlin, and Maz Hamilton. Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Will Sobel, and this panel is Growing Your RPG Brand. Um, we're going to talk for the next hour about some awesome things uh, in RPGs and brand uh, that kind of overlaps with design and marketing and, uh, you know, uh, lots of operational things, but a lot of cool creative things, too. Um, on this panel, um, I'm going to introduce myself, and then I'm going to let our lovely panelists introduce themselves. Uh, like I said, my name is Will Sobel. Um, I'm the Director of Sales, Marketing, and Licensing at Green Ronin. Um, in my off time, I write and design and develop board games and RPGs. Uh, and then I'm just going to uh, introduce some of our panelists uh, as they appear on my little little box. Uh, so first, Kat, do you want to tell us a little bit about you? Kat, I think you're muted. Kat is definitely... Right, okay. Should be muted. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, um... Yes, it took longer to unmute than I had expected. Um, so uh, my name is Kat Tobin, and I'm the co-owner and managing director of Belgrade uh, Press. That's us. Um, and uh, yeah, so obviously we've, um, as a company, we've we've worked on on building our brand in a lot of new spaces to and try to reach. So um, this is something that's really kind of pertinent to what we're doing at the moment. Cool. Uh, and Christopher, do you want to tell us, uh, introduce yourselves? Myself? I'm, I'm just want to meet you. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Hi. Uh, well, in my day job, I'm a uh, professor Christopher McLaughlin and, uh, in my secret identity, I, uh, run my own little tiny little Im Im imprint, which I'm hoping to grow. So I'm, I'm here to contribute and take notes called Go Show Press. Uh, and I did this after strictly freelancing for, oh Lord, 22 years. Sorry, I'm at the stage of my life. I can't believe I've been doing anything for 22 years, but, mm. but yes, but there you go. But now, now flying solo, doing my own thing with Ghost Show Press. Excellent. Uh, and uh, JR? Hi, I'm JR Blackwell. I'm the author of Shelter in Place and one of the hosts of D&D Dads, which is um, an advice show where two dads uh, give you advice about role-playing games. And I'm one of the dads. Uh, and, in, oh. and in my day job, I'm a social media manager. So I know a lot about branding and um, showing up online. Cool. Uh, and Maz, you want to round us out? 
Sure. Hi, I'm Maz Hamilton. Uh, I am one third of Rowan, Rook and Deckard, um, right, with the other two thirds being Grant Howitt and uh, Chris Taylor. Um, we've only existed for a little over three years now. Uh, we're uh, working out of the UK and we make Heart, Spire, Unbound, Goblin Quest and uh, Honey Heist. Uh, so there's quite the range when it comes to thinking about uh, different types of games. Um, and yeah. Excellent. Here to talk about how that works. So we've got um, quite the range um, of folks on this panel. So we're going to tackle uh, what this is from a few different angles. Um, now, when we first, uh, when I first got the email about this panel, um, the first question that I kind of asked myself was, who are the people that are going to be on the other end of this panel? Um, right. And obviously they're going to be a lot of people like us who are designers or writers or publishers um, who have a brand or are making a brand. Um, or rather, they have a game or they're making a game. Um, so I think that the my my first question, the first thing that that I think is important to this conversation is defining a brand and how that intersects with role playing games. Um, I think, Kat, you were kind of leading uh, a conversation there with that you're growing, right? You're, you're already, you've already got a thing and you're growing it. Um, and I, I found that kind of as a compelling starting point. Yeah, so I think that, um, so for a bit of background, um, Pilgrim Press um, was founded or co-founded by um, my business partner, Simon Rogers, and um, Sasha Bolton back in around 2000. And for a very, very long time, um, it, I mean, essentially the, the only kind of branding really was that um, we published games that Simon really liked, um, which, you know, Simon has exceptional taste to be fair to him. So um, yeah, so he's, you know, but that was the direction that the company took. And that was, and there was no kind of thought given at any point to, who we were as a company, what we were doing, why we were doing it, and whether we'd continue doing that or where we wanted to be going in the future. Um, and those are all, I think, like when I kind of came in as a managing director, those are all questions that were really important to me because I am not Simon. So mm -hmm. I had no, you know, it was important for me to define what the Pelgrane Press brand actually meant. What kind of games did we make? when they were divorced from games Simon liked to play, right? Um, and that's been a real kind of progress of discovery, I think, or a journey of discovery for us as a company because, um, again, working with the whole team to kind of make sure that what I think is the Pelgrane brand, what I think are the things that we focus on, are things that the rest of the team also value because I'm, I'm the last one in as well. Like, so I'm the newest kind of member of the Pelgrane team. So it's... It, it's it, like entirely fresh with with kind of a lot less history um, and legacy thought than the others. So yeah, so the, those have been the, the key things that I've been trying to identify first of all. And I think it's like your literal your one hundred and one is what it, what is my brand? Who mm -hmm. who am I as a designer or as a company or what is this game that I'm that I have written? Like what who am I that's doing it? what is this game doing? What is this company doing? And who is it for, right? Who's, yeah. my, who's my target audience? 
and kind of identifying those those kind of three elements are you know i feel like they're really key to to building and developing your brand right i so i i super agree with all of that the brand is kind of the intersection of all these ideas about what does my product want to be what does my company want to be and what do the people within that company the people playing that game what are they so you get you've got these three elements and where they intersect is the brand right like um like like you were saying um and i think that that's super interesting um and maz i think um grant has a brand right mm -hmm. part of your company right like 100%. the the fact that honey heist um and um uh what is the other one um that's really <laughs> really famous uh the one he's page written, he's written 40 of them so uh... yeah oh my gosh that's so many uh and i think that that's kind of self-explanatory that for him that is a brand so um mm. do you have thoughts on how that uh, to, to kind of lead off of what kat was saying of how uh grant who is uh, a known entity in his brand intersects with your company as a whole yeah i i would kind of describe it as being a bit like having two separate brands um, I think, you know, the three points that Kat mentioned, I think are really critical, but we would, I would add another, which is how you do what, what you do. Oh, sure. Um, and brand grant is scrappy. It's humorous. It's light. It's often, um, it creates these quite self-contained, quite small and often quite daft experiences at the table. Um, not all of his one page games work that way. And some of the some of the ones that I really enjoy playing are the very serious ones. But there is a a kind of lo-fi aesthetic, which is not quite zeny, but sort of, that you can kind of see going through pretty much everything that Grant has put out as a one pager. Mm -hmm. And that is the complete opposite of what we do at Rowan Rook and Deckard. We do okay. big, hefty products, we do very high production values, we do um we do something that is that, a lot of the tone is still there, I think, because Grant is fundamental. Grant is the writer across the vast majority of our of our of our products. Um, mm -hmm. Either one of the lead writers, um, or at minimum a contributor. And there is a kind of lightness and a humorousness of tone, um, and a set of design principles that sit underneath an awful lot of the games that we create, which is common to the both kind of Brand Grant games and the Rowan Rook and Deckard games. But in terms of uh, the likely customers who are going to come into contact with them and the people who are go who might be playing them, we see it as a Venn diagram rather than a kind of single uh, audience. And mm -hmm. we see the things that those people want. There's a there's an overlap, um, but they're not necessarily going to be a hundred percent the same. Yeah. So, yeah, it's 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 almost two separate. It's two separate but linked things. Do you do you want to talk about um, what you have done to create that separation, or what creates? I, I'm trying to think of like that. There's probably synergy, right? That you you guys have created. Um, but also things that you have done to make sure that they're separate, or is that just something that you let Grant do naturally? Um, a lot of it is natural and organic, um, but some of it is like almost being clear that like uh, when Grant started his one pages was actually before Rowan Rook and Deckard as a company um, really existed. Mm -hmm. And there was a distinction between we want to make these big finished things that will speak to a more traditional RPG audience. And Grant 
wanting to kind of get his ideas out into the world and experiment and play and create these what I think we would now call it micro games but at the time you know five years ago that wasn't that wasn't really in existence yet itch had only really just started to be a thing um patreon was only just starting to really kind of kick off and so there was this experimental nature to that where grant kind of worked through his design ideas and found his feet there and the brand and the games that he was creating kind of grew alongside each other um i think ron rick and deckard was a much more deliberate thing so for example we sat down and create we created a logo we thought about we did not think about a sensible name because you can't spell Rowan Rook and Deckard and go if we could go, if I could go back in time I might tweak that slightly. Sure. Um, but we thought about like wanting to have a web presence, thinking about it as an as uh, as a a continuous sort of publishing brand rather than I'm going to make some stuff and see what happens. So mm-hmm. there was always this much more deliberate thing, and we sat down at the beginning of Rowan Rook and Deckard um, and said what is our mission what is our vision and what are our values what are the things that we want to be known for um and we've done there's been much more design and much more of a deliberate thing has gone into the creation of the company than the sort of one pages and the uh associated kind of things like our our podcast which are much more on the lighter side and much more experimental and much more scrappy yeah so it's it's like having an innovation shop attached to your main product if you think about it in terms of some other industries so I think that's super interesting that you have a podcast. That's something that I've seen a lot of uh, companies do nowadays. And um, a lot of the time it is pitched as like, keep up with all of our products, right? And, uh, but the reality is, is that it's um, a way to, to engage with your audience. And audience engagement is like a really important part of growing your brand. Because uh, your brand is more of a concept than a product. And like um, we were talking about earlier, it is the intersection of these things, like what kinds of products do I want to publish and what kind of uh, company do we want to be? And I think that that podcast, and I'm going to tie this into social media as well and kind of toss the ball to JR, because um, that sounds like uh, your realm of of things uh, to talk about here, right? Um, is these kinds of, uh, ways outside of just um, what kind of products do I want and what what does my game experience ultimately look like um, to to talk about you know um, outside of my product what does growing my brand look like I think that that's that's a good question to bring up um, and and thinking about audiences in in particular and who you're marketing to and who you want to engage with. And one thing I, I'd like to note for anyone who's listening to this panel is that um, what might work for other people, even like people on this panel or say famous people you see who are doing really well, you know, might not work for you. Um, and that's okay. Like it's okay to try what they're doing. And if it doesn't work for you, that's fine. You can change to something else. It might not appeal to your audience. Um, an example I have is outside the um, role-playing world, but in my day job, I work for this environmental nonprofit, and we brought in consultants to tell us, you know, how, what's the best way to like get people to fall in love with us? And they all told us people like to look at people. People engage and connect to people. People want to see people outdoors. But whenever I put pictures of people outdoors, it was crickets, total silence. 
And it turned out our audience of nature lovers and hikers, they didn't want to see people outdoors. They can see, they see people all the time. They wanted to engage with nature. They wanted to go to a place where they wouldn't see any people at all. They wanted to be alone in the woods, please and thank you. And knowing yeah. that another person was there, huge turn off, huge turn off. And so I think one of the things that folks might want to think about is that when you hear specific advice, like that is like, oh, you need to put up, you know, maybe like a, a playtest video or a podcast or something that's like, um, think about like what you're good at and what appeals to you and what appeals to the people, to the audience that you're trying to reach. And um, that's the kind of materials you want to make. Maybe that's a podcast. Maybe that's an actual play video. Maybe your audience doesn't watch those. So don't put time into making them. And I'd say, so think about what they want, where they are, and then meet them where they are. It's fine to stand on a hill and say, rah, 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 my stuff. But it's even better to go like down into the village and say, oh, I see here you all are playing games. Here is mine. Mm -hmm. It's just much easier that way. Yeah, I think it is important to note that um, all of this advice or experience that we talk about here is what has worked or is working for these people in this panel right now. Um, and I think that the right now is also super important here um, because, uh, surprise, uh, markets evolve um, and change. And that means that your fan base is going to evolve and change. And that means that the, the way that they engage is going to change also. Um, and uh, let's talk about the elephant in the room as far as engagement changing goes with Dungeons and Dragons, right? Like none of us are as big as D&D &D, um, and none of us will ever be as big as D&D. &D. Um, but the reality is, is that D&D &D did something really smart with 5th edition, changing the way that they engage with people and uh, evolving again with supporting things like Critical Role. Like actual plays have become such a huge part of RPGs as an industry. Um, and throwing support behind, you know, actual plays that are engaging your fan base um, has helped Dungeons and Dragons expand so much this uh, edition. Um, but let's circle back for social media stuff, uh, JR. Um, what what kinds of so you were talking about um, one of the things that I was hoping that you would expand on here is talking about the different sorts of things that um, that customers engage with with social media um, and and to kind of uh, jumpstart the conversation I'd like to tell a little story about uh, something that I did with a bunch of other uh, social media managers in tabletop role playing games. Uh, like two years ago, um, we we actually have a like community managers uh, private Facebook group for tabletop role playing games um, that we uh, poke jokes at each other with on on like Twitter and stuff like that. Um, and all of our fans really enjoy seeing the like Green Ronin Twitter account make fun of the Artalsorian Twitter account uh, and stuff like that. But a couple of years ago, we we designed this like really elaborate Saturday where we just said each other's 
the names of each other's games with puns attached to them. And that Twitter thread exploded. Like we were just doing it as like this cute, funny thing. Um, but like it is, it, the last time I looked at it was like almost 11 times more than our normal engagement level in that thread. Um, which is something easy and quick that we put together. And it was just a bunch of, you know, other tabletop folks having fun with each other. I think you got to play to the uh, native habitat of whatever social media you're in. So Twitter is about conversation, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's about engaging with each other and whether that you're, you're at a cocktail party on, on Twitter, you know, Instagram is um, in, it's about the images. And in many cases, like, curated images and then you get into stories which are about non-curated stuff um and facebook which is better for longer form text than say a place like instagram so you're 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 thinking about like what's the what's the habitat of my content and where is my content going to play best and where can i play best and mm -hmm. um in a lot of ways like what am i good at um a lot of people tell me like i'm I feel like there's too much social media and I don't know how to like do all of it. And this is just me giving you permission to not, you mm -hmm. don't have to do all of it. It's great to reserve your name sometimes places, but you don't have to do all of it. You know, you can do what you're good at and really like lean into that place. Yeah. So again, it's a, it's about the intersection of that habitat. Plus what does my company want to look like? Yeah. Um, cool. Uh, I'm going to throw the ball to Christopher because I, I was kind of hoping um, he would have some insights on like what exactly you're talking about um, that uh, ghost show is this new brand, this new entity, right. That you are doing now on your own. Yes. So um, using the 22 years of experience that you have freelancing and, um, and the nature of growing a brand, you, it seems are in, the the kind of um, unique position that maybe the rest of us are not in, um, where we are growing brands that have been growing for years and years, mm. and you are kind of like trying to launch, you know, maybe not now but recently. Mm. What what kind of things? Because because uh, building that foundation, that first kind of push, um, is a lot more important than or a lot more, uh, not important, but um, powerful than the work that the rest of us are doing um, because obviously having a good foundation and a good first step is key. Um, so what are the things that you're doing right now? Um, what are the things that you plan to be doing for maybe the next, the, the first year or so while you're, while you're building this? Well, uh, I I really appreciate what what was just said about knowing your strengths and building on them. And in in my case, I I do have 22 years of freelancing to fall back on. Um, in fact, when I decided to launch Go Show, and and honestly, Go Show was an accident. I, I wound up having a, a a manuscript that I had was just laying around, and I'm like, wow, what 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 can I? You know, I, I put so much work into this. What can I do with this? And well, now we have shirts. So yeah, it's it's it's, it's snowballing. It's it, yeah. Uh, and the wonderful surprise about it was, it was finding out that after 22 years, I, I was kind of a brand. I, I'm way too introverted to say that with, without the doubt creeping in. Own it. 
Yeah, you know, I have to. I have to. I have to. My business partner partner talked me into kickstarting this. And uh, I said, how are we going to talk people into buying this? And he goes, we'll tell them you wrote it. I'm like, mm-hmm. and? And Lord, no, we, we funded. And I found out that there were people out there who, who were willing to buy stuff just because my name was on it. Apparently, I built up a bunch of goodwill there in 22 years. And I guess maybe that, that, was, that was one of the more larger lessons that I learned is um, RPGs are bigger than they ever have been, except for argue, arguably in the 80s. But they're certainly bigger than they've been in, in wow, 35 years. Uh, but it's still a very, 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 very small hobby. It's a, still a very, 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 relatively small creative world. And it's, a, it's amazing how it doesn't take that many positive relationships, positive notices before all of a sudden you're a big deal in this small world. And if we're all comfortable with the fact that we'll probably never replace D&D, you can have a nice career. You can have a, you can have a nice brand, and 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 the, and the smallness I think is an advantage. You know, if if you're doing good work, if you're a good human being, if you know how to utilize your own strengths, like uh, I'm I'm more of a Facebook guy, not just because I'm starting. I'm, I'm well gray that, you know, you know, I, I, I'm too much of a crier for Twitter. I learned that pretty, pretty well on, but, uh, but, but yeah, but, but, but uh, I, you know, the, the Facebook thing has, has, has worked for, for me. I'm a writer. I'm not much of a visual guy. And well, if, you know, right here you go. I'm not much of a visual. Yeah. You can tell why I'm not really real, real visual, but yeah, but, uh, but, uh, but yeah, I'm a writer or I like to tell people I'm a good word guy. So yeah, Facebook, it's been, it's been able to, use what what my advantage my pluses to re- to reach out to an audience that surprisingly is there just uh, just on the strength of the fact that you know for 22 years i i hit my deadlines I, I i i did my best uh was very very blessed to work with some amazing people uh and uh and 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 that infrastructure was was kind of waiting for me there and now, and and now now that I'm doing my own projects, I have this tremendous well of support I didn't even realize was out there. So it, 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 you you can't underestimate the value of a personal relationship in an industry which honestly is still relatively very small. Yeah. So I'm going to take two two of the things that you said, um, and I'm going to uh, rope Maz into one of them. Um, <laughs> Uh, so the, the first one that I have, I'm going to just kind of briefly touch on in that, that you hit your deadlines. Yes. Um, right. Uh, let's talk about that for a second. Um, because you also mentioned Kickstarter and I feel like the two of those things, uh, just are, are really, um, important operational or logistical things about Mm. growing your brand. Um, every brand, every brand, um, I'm going to break my own a rule of talking of saying that that all of this advice is uh, subjective to different people. Um, I'm going to be a, a, a little uh, uh, arrogant and say this one is important to everybody. Uh, hit your deadlines, um, and if you're not going to hit your deadlines, communicate to the important people that you're not going to hit your deadlines, and and that's just not talking about um, your artists or your freelancers. I'm talking about your customers um, because. If you tell people, hey, um, you know, we said that we were going to launch this in December, um, it is totally okay that you don't hit December as long as you effectively communicate that to all of those people. Um, we talk about how um, 
you know, rough sometimes Kickstarter comments are, and that's totally valid and totally real. Um, but a good portion of your customers are going to understand, especially in 2020, that if you cannot hit your deadline, it is that's okay. Like, thank you for communicating and, and you know, form a, a coherent uh, explanation of, hey, you know, we thought that we were going to hit this printer and the printer is backed up or, hey, you know, what if one of our artists fell behind? Um, those are all like they don't need to know the details um, as long as you effectively communicate, hey, um, this deadline is not going to get hit. Um, but not communicating that and then continuing to not hit the deadline uh, hurts your brand um, because it will say, uh, oh my gosh, I can't believe that so-and-so is so late on this thing that they told us we were going to get. Um, I'm never going to buy a thing from them again. And then even if you got the golden project <laughs> and released a, you know, a thousand page, amazing five-star core rule book for a license that everyone loves um, and you're only selling it for ten dollars. They, you're you've already bought bad will. Yeah, um, it, it, it really is a double edged sword. It, it, you can build a good reputation in this in, in this industry in a surprisingly short amount of time, and you can torch it in a surprisingly. You know, if you're a if you're if you're a jerk to people, if you're ripping off customers, if you're missing deadlines, your your name will be mud faster than you knew possible. Mm-hmm. So the like, second thing, the, oh, I'm sorry, Maz, go ahead. I was just gonna say, like, we're talking about trust, right? Um, trust is e trust is if you're un, if you're un, relatively unknown, most people in the RPG community are pretty welcoming and pretty okay with giving people a chance. Correct. But trust mm. is really easy to burn, really easy to lose, and really mm. difficult to regain. Mm -hmm. um, it is much easier to start trust to start like okay and get more trusted over time than it is to recover from the kind of dip that happens if you if you if you fail to deliver something that you promised mm -hmm. um yeah a good rule of thumb that i use there is under promise and over deliver <laughs> uh right when when i'm setting expectations um whether it's uh for how big a book is or the price of a book or the date that it's going to launch um under promise and over deliver you know if something happens to come out early great no, not a single person is going to complain about something coming early um Kat. but oh sorry cat <laughs> i really like what you said about trust um and i think that's so important um trust is in in a lot of ways a brand is about trust too it's about telling someone reliably who you are and that you can trust that the kind of content I'm going to produce or who I am fits in maybe this brand circle. And that brand circle can be pretty big. Um, but it, it tells people, this is the kind of thing I make. And you can trust that when you buy something from me, it's going to be like this, whether that's like scrappy or really polished or short or easy to get into or super complex, whatever it is, it's like you can trust that this is this is me and this is what I do. Yeah. I, I really love that point about trust. Yeah, a hundred percent. That was a that was a good point, Maz. Um so the second thing that Christopher uh mentioned that I want to uh um 
rope Maz into uh, is he was talking about shirts. Uh, and Maz was talking about designing a logo. Uh, right. And so um, a lot of people who are getting into the area that we're talking about now, I think, are designers, game designers, um, who specifically want to publish their own thing. Right. And because they're game designers, they might just be thinking about mechanics um, or or maybe even art, but they're not thinking about the operational things um, that are super easy to do, like uh, making a logo or making shirts or, you know, those those things that maybe the people on this panel find as very like 101 uh, things um, or 102 things um, that. Uh, everyone else might uh, overlook or think, uh, you know, I don't need to do that yet. Um, and I don't think that that's true. Um, and I think that uh, Maz's point about making a logo kind of sparked this idea for me at first, because m when you're making a company, when you're starting a brand, uh, that logo is super important, right? It's It helps um, to to fall back on this trust thing. Um, it, com it effectively communicates to other people what to expect from my company or my game or, or whatever else. Um, and I think that, uh, Maz, do you have thoughts about like what went into logo design for, for your brand specifically? Um, so our company is built around the three of us. The names, Rowan, Rook, and Deckard, are all character names that we've used previously. Um, and the logo is, we kind of had two or three different sort of elements around the logo, but we wanted something that encompassed a Rowan tree, um, a Rook, and then a book for Deckard, uh, because the, ca the character of Deckard had a library, which he was very proud of. I think, I think that's the history there. Mm -hmm. um, and we made the decision that we wanted it to be something that would look good, that would be recognizable, that could be kind of line worked, that could be um, put on the spines of books in particular, so that as you're looking down your shelf, if we ever got to the stage, which we're still not at yet, really, of publishing other people's games, um, that you would be able to kind of see that and there would be continuity there. Um, but the other big thing was that it was this it was the first thing we paid money for as a business it was the first thing that we sat down and with the, with the exception of web hosting and that was reddit's fault which i can explain later if you want um <laughs> we but we sat down and went okay this is we're doing this and we're going to treat it seriously we aren't this is this is a thing where we've got ambition we've got mm -hmm. a thing we've got some stuff we want to achieve here we need to start to think of this as an umbrella where this isn't just about one game. It's not just about one project or one product or any one of us. It's about building something which is collective and that thing needs an identity. So I think I'd see the logo as part of a, I guess, a conversation about the identity that the entity has, which is distinct from the three of us. You know, I've talked to, we've talked about brand grant, um, which is not the same as like the person grant, just to be super clear. Um, mm -hmm. There is a, like there is a there was a real recognition early on that we we wanted something that would be bigger than any one of us and potentially bigger than the three of us and you have to you have to create an identity for that thing that is separate from the individuals within it because if you try to embody your brand if you try to be the only if you if you try and make them the same thing 
oh boy, there's some mental illness there. Oh dear, mm-hmm. don't want to do that. Um, you need there needs to be separation. And like anyone who's got more than a certain number of, of followers or fans on any social media platform will get this in some form. Who you are on social media is not who you are. And if you are a uh, creator who's just starting out, who's like, oh, I am, I embody the brand that is my games. I would, I would caution you to be be aware that that is a decision that you're making and that you can change that decision if you want to. If you bind yourself up in your brand reception, then every negative comment, every you know two-star review on drive-through will hit you as a person rather than right. the brand. So some that, of it was about saying like, these, these things are separate. Um, right. And this is what we want this to be. And it's magical and it's mystical and it's a bit weird and it's kind of a glyph. Um, but that's that and that's the the thing that we're trying to build not who we are so uh in the logo discussion another thing that i uh an experience that i had recently that's super uh that's kind of piggybacks on that is we uh at green ronin made a 20th anniversary logo to use this year right and it was the first time that the logo had been changed in I don't know, like 10 years or something like that. Um, and we like we wanted to communicate to people first and foremost that, hey, we have evolved as a company, um, right? Like the brand that we had uh, years ago when we were doing True 20 stuff um, and third edition supplements is very different than what we're doing now. And we knew that, like we had seen the change but like when we talked to a lot of people who were true 20 fans, they didn't realize that we had evolved and we had new games and we were making fifth edition supplements. And so the idea behind that was, yes, we're going to celebrate our 20th anniversary, but also our brand had changed and evolved. And so changing our logo to, to kind of show that as a, as a communication piece to the rest of the world of, Hey, you know, uh, we are changing and the world is changing. So here's a new logo. Here's the new us kind of thing. Um, And we wanted it to pay homage to the original logo so that, you know, it still looks, um, uh, what was the word you used, Maz, um, about seeing your logo on uh, the shelves? So consistency. Yeah, yeah co- consistent and coherent. I think that those are the two things that I try and pick mm. out when we're looking at multiple books and how they kind of sit together on a shelf. Right, and so we wanted to pay homage so that people knew that it was us, and so that there was that consistency, but also to say, "Hey, this is something new," right? Um. Okay. Cool. Um. And I, I can't help but notice that in the conversation about logos and shirts, Kat is wearing a Pelgrane Press shirt. Um, Kat, do you want to talk about um, the, the like, I know that we have a lot of different shirts um, with the Green Ronin logo that people can buy in our store, and it seems like the same is true there. Do you want to talk about putting, like, what is what is putting shirts up in a store mean? How does that relate to your brand? Um, yeah, so it's interesting. We, um, kind of similarly to, to Green Running, we did um, a bit of a logo redesign as well. And we used to have this, I, I loved it. It was this really scrappy, like, image of an actual Pelgrane. 
Um, and that's, you know, again, like touching on what Maz was saying about Ron, Rick and Deckard, um, I, I'm constantly on the phone to people saying, uh, it's Pelgrane, and people are like, it's what? I'm, I'm like having to spell it out. So, you know, watching your company name um, and also your logo as well, um, you know, in terms of the design, like, you know, when we were originally doing it, um, we did something like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea of it was that it was two Ps back to back for Pelgrane Press. Um, but it has been um, uh, compared to lots of different forms of genitalia um, over the years. So, yeah, <laughs> but, you know, we didn't give up. So when we redesigned it, um, this, um, we kind of kept that double P aspect and it, it does still have some you can still you can see it you can't unsee it once you see it um but it's 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 cleaner it's memorable it's kind of our we have like a color um like a color kind of range as well so like this kind of winey color here is kind of our pale grain color so if you see banners or if you see our website or if you see anything like that like that's our main kind of accent color and again that's all part of of the kind of logo design and also your your marketing and merchandising. Um, so we, when we redesigned the logo, we kind of started to use it more, I guess. Like previously, we would put it on books, and obviously on the website and things like that. Um, but we kind of realized that actually some of our designs, like some of our art is very cool, and some of our um, logos and stuff, people wanted to be able to identify themselves as fans of a particular game or whatever or they wanted to be kind of in on the um in on the, the jokes and that kind of thing um so we decided to kind of set up um, a merchandise store and i've, I've already linked it in um in the chat uh, but it's uh, pellgrain.threadless.com um, and we've basically just got a kind of a, a small range of products up there at the moment we're probably we're almost certainly going to be expanding it um, but we've got things like stickers and, and T-shirts and, and more recently masks as well. And it just, again, it, it kind of comes out of a demand, for, like for people actually asking for these kind of of items so that, again, they can wear them to cons or, or whatever. And it's it's a really, it's not something that we know very much about and it feels kind of, it feels slightly odd for us as a company because we're very, again, part of our brand is that we're quite kind of humble, I guess. We don't like to blow our own kind of toot our own horns, as it were. Um, so it seems really weird to be like, hey, you know, put our logo on your chest. But <laughs> people, lots of people want to do that. And it, it again, you know, it's free advertising, effectively, if people are wearing T-shirts with with you know, the Pelgrane logo on it. Um, so that wasn't very coherent or useful, but, um, well, I, I don't know, like, be careful I'm of logo design. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to steal that. You have to understand, you've already won this panel by having your cat photo bomb you periodically through this. <laughs> I know, right? Like, it's like... <laughs> There's there's a point of there's a thing there, like one of the best, like one of the, we've only ever had one shirt, but we printed Honey Heist on it. And made like the world's, as far as I'm aware, the world's first and possibly only wearable RPG. Um, <laughs> because we can fit the whole thing on, and we even put uh, we like we printed the the GM section like upside down at the bottom, so only the GM can read it. Um, and 
that was that's that's I I need I think we should reprint those. I I love those shirts. Um, that's such a brand. But it's that's... like that doesn't that doesn't have our logo on it anywhere. That's that that's like but that's entirely like congruent and coherent with who we are as a business and also who we are as like, like who we are as people. Um, mm -hmm. There's a point that Kat made that I kind of want to pick up on as well because we talked a lot about like company branding and not a lot about product branding. So we have like Spire has a logo, Heart has a logo, Unbound even has a logo, um, and each of those things is like sits distinct from our company logo and needs to convey something slightly different and usually that's a if i if you have picked up a supplement in a store what game set does this belong to and how and and ha, you know how would i use this does this fit with what i already have at home and there's a whole separate conversation i think or you know a linked conversation about like the aesthetic of a game line and mm -hmm. how that needs to flow through in a product and how though if you've got multiple product lines how those things map and connect to each other to create something which is coherent within the context of the organization i oh, guess that a sure. lot of people kind of coming to this are going to be um creators who are maybe not looking at multiple different product lines but i think there's still something really critical to say there which is that you're again there can be a distinction between the thing you're making and the entity that is making it um, and thinking about the kind of continuity of that, of that through your core book and your supplements or your main game and your um, add-ons and your expansions, or even like if you've got multiple things happening in the same world, how those things need to be distinct, but also related. Um, there's an author, there's a really rich seam of, of design and artistry that, that goes into those things. And we have completely lucked out with it. And mm -hmm. mostly, by, mostly by just hiring really, really good artists who know what they're doing, um, which I'd strongly recommend as a business practice. Mm -hmm. I think that's a, oh, oh, go ahead. Just bouncing off of that, um, I think that continuity concept is, um, is a great point because continuity with your own products and with your brand, but also thinking about, and this is something I actually picked up from the romance industry. So romance writers like RPG writers are extremely prolific and have fan bases that are dedicated. And so one thing romance authors tend to do is they want their books um, not necessarily to be completely distinct, stand out, look different from all the rest. They want their books to tell their readers what kind of romance they are because readers are very specific about what they want. So I think a lot of people, when they think of branding, they think I have to stand out and be different from everyone else and like have my own complete, you know, look. But there is also something to be said for looking like what you're a part of so that when readers are looking for that thing, it is easily identified. And, and that's, about continuity and being aware of the marketplace and being aware of what's out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think uh, that's like, super important. There's there's um, a whole, like, if you look at, um, for example, like indie RPGs versus trad RPGs, like there's a massive branding um, thing going on there with, with the, the form factor. Um, trad RPGs tend to be eight and a half by 11 hardbacks, whereas indie games tend to be like more six by nine, more journal size, kind of slimmer maybe not as high production values and, and that's a deliberate branding choice to make yourself consistent with the other people in your in your target audience i'm going to piggyback on that for a second um because so with mutants and masterminds we do something like that 
where we we obviously have the Mutants and Masterminds logo, and then on all of the books it has a, a different like third edition, right, um, to identify which Mutants and Masterminds it belongs to. But the other thing is that all of the Mutants and Masterminds books are sized to uh, uh, emulate uh, graphic novels uh, from like Marvel and DC instead of being the traditional um, size of, that you would see on like a retail shelf. And that's on purpose, right? Because Mutants and Masterminds is a superhero game and it does, it leans into that brand on purpose. Um, and a lot of people don't like that it's a different size, but it it sets itself apart so that if, you, if you're looking at a, a store shelf or you're looking at your shelf, uh, your collection, um, and you scan your eye over it, you know, oh, that's the superhero one because it looks like what you would find from Marvel or DC. Maz, uh, did did I interrupt you? No, I was literally just going to say the same thing as Kat about form factor. Um, we made some really deliberate decisions about Spire and Heart, wanting them to like present, wanting to present them as more akin to traditional RPGs. They are very story gamey in, in a lot of in a lot of ways, um, but they are definitely for a traditional RPG gamer. We wanted them displayed in stores on the same shelves and mm -hmm. so there's a bunch of thinking that's gone into like honestly plus chris just really likes having big hefty books because he's like seven foot twelve and therefore <laughs> they make him, like, they just make him feel normal size so that's nice um but uh and with with the reprint of unbound we're deliberately we're deliberately going for a much smaller form factor with that because it is a although there's a lot of crunch to it there is an explicit like uh, it, it has much more in common with um, some of the kind of world building games that have come out actually since it was first written. And we, we think that that form factor is going to be both more usable for, for readers, but also just it, it, it will sit hopefully in the right place alongside games to which it is more similar. A bunch of this is about signposting to help audiences in physical retail, assuming that physical retail is still a thing beyond 2020, um, mm -hmm. that there's actually a, a commonality there. Um, and it's about saying, we are like this thing, or this product is like these things. Yeah. Um, as much as it's about saying, you know, Chris is enormous and likes the big books. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And I think, so the, the more we talk about this, the more I think I want to uh, pivot the trust concept that we've been talking about to expectation because that's that's what yeah, that's you're talking smart. about is is like somebody can glance um at a retail shelf and they'll see spire or they'll see mutants and masterminds and those forms will communicate so many expectations to uh, a consumer right um so i think we're actually coming up on uh close to the end here when we're going to open up the floor. Okay. Uh, yeah. So let's open up the floor to some questions. Um, I think um, we yeah, have a disembodied voice. I am the disembodied voice. Uh, yeah. We have a couple of questions. Uh, this one is something I think you've touched on earlier in the conversation, but perhaps we can dig a little bit deeper. So the question from cartwheel is, is there a meaningful difference or a useful distinction between a personal brand and a brand for your business? Or are they just scaled versions of each other? 
Uh, thank you for the question, Cartwheel. I think Maz hit on this um, a lot uh, early on in the panel, talking about the difference between Grant's brand and the company brand. So, Maz, do you want to just uh, reiterate what's going on there? Sure. I think I'd just say that, yes, they are, and they can be different. In my view, it's best if they are different um, for a bunch of reasons. Uh, and... I don't think it's a case of simply scaling a personal brand and then creating and that creates a business brand. Um, there are things that people have expectations for from a business that they don't from a person and vice versa. Um, so as a business, like nobody is like there are kinds of emotional response that are not appropriate for business brands. Right. And there are kinds of um, very sort of hard, potentially quite hard edged, hard nosed, difficult decisions that are very difficult to do as a person, but that you might need to do or might need to express as a business. I'm thinking about things like uh, actually think about drive through RPG here and like deciding whether or not to cut ties with certain individuals on the basis of content that's been produced and published through their site. These are things that are th these are decisions that are really different in in context if you are looking at a person versus a company. Um, so I think for me, I would I would say that there's a meaningful distinction between the two. Business brands are often uh, much less complex than personal ones, um, but they also, as a result, they're also much less human. And I think to JR's point about some people just want to talk to people and see people, we are in a social hobby and a social industry. So something that we recognize is that Rowan Rick and Deckard, the brand's Twitter account, is never going to have the pull or the interest of, honestly, any of the three of our personal accounts, because that's not what Twitter's about and that's not what that's not how RPG folks react. There's a conversation to be had there. That said, Rowan Rick and Deckard should probably be on Instagram because we do really pretty pictures and that would probably be a valuable space for us to be in when mm -hmm. where the three of us might want to do something completely different as individuals so right i hope that helps to kind of elaborate yeah i, I yeah think I, to... I would definitely oh go ahead jr um no that was me um oh i'm sorry yeah i i, I think to, to pick up on that um and again going back to what i was saying earlier about um Pelgrin being like simon's company that that did things simon liked um the, the big issue with with blending your personal brand and your professional brand or your company brand um, is is that it makes it very difficult to grow right as a company as a company runner which you will be if you um, if you want to publish your own game and if you're going down the self-publishing route you will be the the CEO of your own company right and it can be very easy to to just keep those two brands synonymous but it makes it very difficult for you to grow that company down the line. If you're the person who's always doing the tweets, if you're the person who's always posting on Facebook, if you're the person who, if your face is the face of the company, it makes it very difficult for other people to come in and help you with any aspect of that company because um, it's it's a lot, as Maz was saying about your per personal brands are considerably more complex than company, than corporate brands. And you need your corporate brand to be broad enough that a multitude of people can represent it accurately, um, mm -hmm. which is something that you can't really do with a with a personal brand. Um, and it has to be distinct enough from each individual within the company as well that it's it's clearly it is the group. You know, when when the brand speaks, it is the brand speaking. It's not say like Cat speaking through the Pelgrane brand. It is the Pelgrane brand speaking as a distinct entity, which a company is from the the people involved. 
so yeah so looking to looking to future growth as well is is a big reason to the personal and professional brands blended yeah all, all good stuff um do we have another question disembodied we, voice we do uh let's see okay so the this is from genesis of legend uh also known as jason pitt uh, how much niche protection do you think is necessary for company brands? Do you see brand confusion as a particular problem? Nah. Nah. The, this industry is so small. Nah. Two people can come out with the same, same game mechanically that will be presented in such radically different ways. Um, there's there's uh, just not enough... Uh, of us, I think, for that to be a concern. I think I think I'd also say, like, games aren't interchangeable, the way that say drills or like washing powder is. Um, you don't need to worry that if you make a game, someone else making a game will hurt you. Like, there isn't a if if people want to play Monster Hearts, they're not going to pick up GURPS and go, yeah, that's that'll do. Um, so. I would be I would be less worried about niche protection and more worried about like telling the story of your game effectively. What mm. are the kinds of stories that you tell that the other game that, that are unique to the thing that you are putting into the world? Yes. Um, so rather than seeing it as a defensive kind of posture where there's a little thing that you can protect, it's more about saying, "Hey, I have expanded the possibilities at your table in these ways. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that awesome? Come look at this thing I'm doing." And I think if we see, like, I personally view this as an expansive thing. Um, every new player that joins a game, whatever that game is, is an expansion of the hobby. Um, and we are in collaboration with each other to make awesome stuff happen and to make story machines for people. We're not really in direct competition a lot of the time. Yeah, agreed. And at the end of the day, yeah. you know, we, we are, we're all just betting on ourselves. I mean, and the one thing that we should all be good at is being ourselves. And at the end of the day, you're just saying, you know, I can be the be I can be a better me than anybody else. You know, if you, if you if you have something unique and worthwhile to say, if you've got real talent, you know, you you will be your own niche. Even if you're doing something as routine as, well, hey, I made a high fantasy RPG. You know, if there's if you have a unique voice and a, a unique talent, you will stand out even in a field that that's that, that's that crowded. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Yeah, I, I I think definitely kind of picking up on on what um, Christopher and Miles have said. Um, I don't think that the niche protection is specifically. You know, again, we we make Cthulhu games, right? We have a lot of other people in the marketplace are making Cthulhu games. It's it's not, we're all, as Ma said, contributing to each other's audiences by every, all of our marketing efforts are effectively doubled or tripled because they, they are also creating other Cthulhu fans for us. You know, D&D &D is creating um, other D20 fantasy fans for our 13th age line. You know, this is all, it's all good stuff. But the thing that I would say is re with regard to as i mentioned 13th age um the i think that it can be um there seems to me to be a, an issue where people know the product so people know trail cthulhu they know knights black agents they know 13th age but not as well the company behind them and i think that this is a big branding i don't know whether this is something that we need to address as an industry but so very often the the 
product is the brand that people know. So for example, we there have been multiple 13th age Kickstarters. We, as Pellegrin Press, have not run any of them, despite the fact that we have the license for 13th Age. Um, if anything happens with those Kickstarters, there is a direct impact on us as a company, even though we're not involved with them. So I think that the, I think niche protection around, um, uh, I think niche protection around who you are and what you're doing and making sure that people know that your brand and your company is are consistently doing this thing and will and even though something looks like it's connected to you it is not like protecting what you actually protecting your ips more so than protecting your niche i think is is important yeah yeah excellent uh, so we're pretty close to uh needing to wrap it so would okay. everybody like to go through one more time and uh remind us who you are and uh, how to reach you on social media and through other venues. And uh, for those of you who are brands who are trying to uh, design and sell games, uh, how do we uh, grab your stuff and send you money? Okay. Um, so my name's Will Sobel. I've been your pseudo-moderator uh, this afternoon. Um, I work with Green Ronin Publishing. Um, you can find me on Twitter at WordsWriteWill. Um, and you can look for board games developed and designed by me and books coming out by me soon. Um, and let's just go back in the same order that we did at the beginning. Kat, do you want to tell us? Um, yep. So um, I'm Kat Tobin. You can find me personally on Twitter. Um, I'm at Kat, T-H-M. And then you can find Pellegrin Press. Um, Basically, we're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitch, we're on YouTube, we're on all the things as Pelgrane Press. So if you just search for Pelgrane, you'll find us. We're, we're, we pretty much have the market cornered on the word Pelgrane. <laughs> Christopher? Well, I'm uh, I'm still Professor Christopher McLaughlin. I'm still skating by on my fashion sense. Uh, and uh, you can find us on Facebook. Just look for Ghost Show Press on Facebook. Look look for the look for the fabulous Ghost Show logo. And a great time to be jumping aboard the Ghost Show. We'll, we're going to be launching our next Kickstarter in January, and we're hoping in the next week or two to make a very very exciting announcement about what that is and the amazing people we're going to be working with there. Awesome. So I'm J.R. Blackwell. I'm pretty much J.R. Blackwell everywhere on social media. Um, and I'm a part of D&D Dads, which is an advice show about role-playing games. If you have a question that we didn't answer today, or if you have a question about role-playing games, you can write to askyourdads, plural dads, there are two of us, at gmail.com. And uh, we're just preparing for season two. So now's a great time to get those questions in. And I'm Maz. Uh, you can find my personal brand at NewsMary uh, on Twitter and pretty much everywhere else that social media is a thing. Uh, you can find Rowan Rook and Deckard uh, at RowanRookandDeckard.com or if you can't spell that, uh, RRDGames.com will take you there. Um, we are on Twitter, we are on Facebook, um, we are most active on Discord. There's a really kind of active and friendly Discord community that we uh, are, all three of us are very active in as well. Um, come drop by, say hi. Uh, 
ask questions. Um, and if you are a creator who is looking to produce something, who would like a bit of advice or a bit of uh, consultation, um, I am offering some mentoring sessions between now and uh, the new year. Um, so drop me a DM uh, or send us an email through the contact form if that's something that interests you. Excellent. Thank you all uh, for showing up at various uh, time zones, wherever you are, afternoon or evening. Uh, and thank everybody for uh, showing up to listen to what we have to say about growing your brand. Uh, we hope to see you around. Thanks.